1: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the HoltCast. The 2022-2023 Premier League campaign for Aston Villa is underway. And um, yeah, it was more of a thumping horror show um, that you may never want to remember again, more so than anything. But regardless of that, Cole had him back. And it's nice to be back and not have a cold. But anyways, I'm also here with Mr. Tom Nightingale too. We're going to try to go through the results um and just kind of talk about a few things in relation to tyrone mings steven gerrard and uh we'll see where we go from there without losing our minds too much but anyways tom how's it going for you
0: i mean yeah all right i guess uh glad we're i uh, feel like i say this a lot but glad that we're recording this the morning after um but it's one of those where i think actually like the more time i have to reflect on it the kind of the more pissed off i'm getting to be honest um what on earth was that all about
1: <laughs> what I, was that all
0: about you
1: know I wish I knew
0: and it's like talk about you want to start the season well and like I don't think we were alone as a as a podcast and as a group in being pretty optimistic ahead of the first game of the season Saying so like on no disrespect to them obviously but like on paper I thought our team should be beating Bournemouth really um I know that hope springs eternal as a football fan and you always feel foolish. It seems to always come back to bite you. It did last year at at Watford away, but this season has really felt like this should be the season where we take that step forward. And so to start, I know it's, it's only one game out of 38, obviously, but to start not even with a whimper, but actually we did start with a bang. It's just that not the kind of bang that we were hoping for right to 2 minutes and however many seconds in it was going 1 nil down to on paper probably the worst team in the league is not how anybody draws up the start to a season um and so it's just i think this is probably record time for us as a fan base going from optimism to um i don't know what the right word is really um i don't, i mean i'm still i'm still trying to compute it to be honest i'm not entirely sure how that went so badly wrong
1: well that's the thing like it it, it's one thing to say okay you lost but maybe like if you compare it to Watford of last season losing 3-2 there was a bit of a fight back there was something to kind of look at in a positive way and kind of work off of this one I don't know what you work off of and more so it feels like you scrap almost everything that's the feeling I mean when you also look at it this way too I I think kind of going throughout preseason, I think the evident thing has been, and I mean, you can't really read too much into any of those results and whatever happens on tour and all that kind of stuff. You look at it for a fitness thing and you would like to kind of imagine it doesn't so much impact the actual season, but the relevant thing all preseason was is lack of goals. And they're aside from what probably the first friendly um, there really wasn't many goals. It was one nils and that's really about it. And as nice as it is to see clean sheets and things like that, you would have liked to seen a little bit more. And I mean, it just kind of seems like that goal scoring issue has kind of followed its ugly way into the Premier league against Bournemouth of course a two mil loss if I can't remember if I have said that I haven't done a podcast for roughly a month guys so give me a little bit of a, a break as I kind of dust off the cobwebs per se but I mean Tom you do have to sit back and wonder um it, it's fair enough to say we've conceded two goals through set pieces uh Bournemouth are a very tall championship-like team that uh can succeed through crosses. And I think that's when you think of the old school championship more so that's what you think of. And they really did benefit from that. But from a Villa perspective, I mean, we knew it was going to happen, but really again, it just seems like we just instantly collapsed to the most susceptible, obvious tactic thing that we should really be expecting. Don't we?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's easy to say with hindsight, but I, I think we were always going to struggle to win that game based on how we set up and I'm not so, talking so much about the personnel although we'll get into you know particularly one uh, per, particular personnel decision later I'm sure but um not even so much about the players who were selected because obviously with now with having five subs and stuff it really is more of a squad game I think than a starting 11 game but like the the, the tactics the approach to the game what you know I it's, gonna go back to saying what on earth was that all about because i just don't understand i can't for the life of me understand why we seem to have decided from the get-go against bournemouth playing with one striker danny ings who you know i do really like but he's what he's five foot ten on his own against two six foot whatever center backs like why was the only apparent strategy to cross the ball into the box from any conceivable angle and not only that but when it so clearly wasn't working. Like, okay, we went down one-nil early. Like these things can happen. It wasn't a particularly well-defended set piece, obviously. But like, you know, loose ball broke to Jefferson Lerma. And sometimes that's the rub of the green, right? But so you maybe it's hard to legislate for going one-nil down so early. But you know, if we're getting to even 30 minutes, but certainly like 45 minutes. I know we made the change at halftime. We brought Brendier on for Ramsey, but like even when we made that change, I didn't really see much of a change of approach. It seemed to be maybe you throw in an extra pass or two before you work the ball out wide or into a deep position, and then you still cross it in, just lump it in and hope for the best. I it boggles my mind that that kind of that kind of been the strategy that emerged from the training ground a week. You know, you got even after the last preseason game, you've got a week planning, knowing you're playing Bournemouth. I just I don't understand it really, and so that's what's really frustrating for me is. Because we said, I think, on a preview pod that this season, what with five subs and also with having spent money and brought in quality, defense, midfield, centre-back, you know, Coutinho on a permanent, like, you know, we have quality and depth now. So this season's going to be a real test of Stephen Gerrard's management and his, tactic, his ability to set up for a game, but also to adapt to in-game situations and make those tactical tweaks that the good managers do. I don't want to join the crowd of overreactors after one game because it is only one game. But the problem is it's while it is only one game, it's also sort of not only one game. What it is now is it's nine or 10 months under Gerard's management. It's two transfer windows. Okay. I know there's a bit of time left in this window, but he's had two transfer windows. Now he's had the excuse about it, not being his team and that sort of stuff that is long gone. We can't be having any of that anymore. Cause now this very much he is, he is molding his own team Got his own coaching staff in place. You know, you you have to be you have to be putting in significantly better performances. It's not even the results disappointing, but the performance for me is what's really grinding my gears to start this, you know, to start this season. Cause like you just at this point, you just have to be better than that under a manager. You know, okay, he's still a relatively new manager, but nine, 10 months is a long time in football, particularly when you get a summer and you get transfer windows. So you know, it's that, it's that sort of starting so poorly is a real, real kick in the teeth. And my, uh, you know, a big concern I have now really is I'm looking back about Gerard and I'm thinking, can I think off the top of my head of a game where Gerard's in-game tactical management has won us a game? Because I don't think that I can. And that's not me saying that I think Gerard's a terrible manager or anything like that. Like we've, and the, more to the point Villa have committed to Gerard now spending the money got him on board you know clearly everything is built around Gerard being the manager of Villa so any talk any overreactionary talk on social media about managerial changes anytime soon you can put that you can put that to bed it's not going to happen they've committed to him um but he needs to like something is going to have to improve very quickly I think on the tactical front because I'm not really seeing an ability from Gerard so far to grab a game by the scruff of the neck and win us a game when the chips are down.
1: Well, it's, is it two wins from 12 or something like that? He has the same I, win yeah, percentage so. out of that as uh, Gary Neville or something. I think it's like 35 or 38%. I can't remember exactly. It's just yeah, like that range. Yeah, it is. But uh, kind of going back to, to Saturday, really, I guess you guys will hear this on the Monday. So I'll reference that instead of yesterday, because obviously it wasn't on a Sunday. But when you sit back and think of it, it almost felt like the opening few minutes, there was the odd opportunity, um, but it almost seemed like when that didn't work, as soon as, soon as it didn't work, it was, okay, throw it out the window, let's panic. And that panic really, really resembles every season from as for as long as I can really remember the last decade, really. It's... I don't know if it's a lack of preparation or what. I don't know if Gerard's just a really good talker or I don't know. Everything yesterday was just very Tim Sherwood-esque. It seemed like you you knew what was going to come out after the game and players have to be accountable and he's not happy and this, that, and the other, but it just, it just reeked of, for me, no accountability. The players did not look up for it. it. It just reeked to me of arrogance where more so you're going to walk into the Vitality Stadium and walk out with three points and that's it. It just, I I don't know. It just, it reeked of that yesterday. And as soon as something didn't work, it was just, okay, we're just going to do the same thing again and we're going to force it to work. I don't know. There clearly wasn't a plan B, C, all the way to Z. It just, I, I don't know. It was very, very strange. I mean, you can even look at the attacking lineup with Coutinho on the left, Ings up top and Bailey on the right. I mean, I thought Leon Bailey actually was quite decent yesterday Albeit, I'd say his probably biggest issue for me is still trying to do too many things on his own. When you have someone like Maddie Cash who can kind of overlap, I noticed that a few times with Cash being frustrated. Coutinho on the left for me is just not a thing. I, you need someone with a little bit more pace. He could probably run out defenders, but he just seems like he doesn't. And again, I mean, it, it, for me, it's completely evident for some odd reason he just doesn't show up for away games. It, and I hate to say that's even a thing. But if you go back to last season, you feed it into this season, it just seems like a weird theme. Um, Again, I don't know what Buendia has to do to start. It feels like a relationship is taking kind of place more so over someone that's been in better form kind of finishing out last season. I think what Coutinho had – or not Coutinho, sorry, Buendia had something like – was it two goals and three assists or something maybe the other way around near the end of last season where Coutinho had like one assist or whatever it was. Um, It's just – I don't want to feed into last season, but it it is another theme that seems to be popping up again. And it seems like really after that final day loss to Man City, where we just chucked it away, it just feels like we still are hung over from that and hung over from issues from last season. And I don't know, maybe it's one of those cases where you see signings come in early and it hypes you up again. But at the end of the day, the kind of whole crux of the problem was never really fixed. And whether that's personnel, personally, I don't think it is personnel now. I think it's just down to tactics. And it's a, it's, people, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, it's, yeah, it's one thing that's annoying me about uh, like Gerard, I have to say, is
0: he's, re- he's reeled out again after this game. He's reeled out the line about we need more quality. Like we've signed quality. You can't, you cannot look at Villa's squad and tell me that that is not, at an absolute minimum, it should be a top 10 squad there's no way on earth the Villas squad is not a top 10 squad in terms of quality. So I just, I can't, you cannot keep, if you're Gerard, you cannot keep reeling out that line about like, well, we need, you know, we need more quality. We need, you know, we need to, we need to bring new people in or whatever. How about trying to get the best out of what you've got in front of you? Like ever heard of that as an idea, like a coaching and management idea because I'm not really certainly based on, we can only really base it on Saturday's performance really obviously it's all we have to see. I'm not going to read like we say, not can't read too much into preseason results and stuff. But in terms of performances on the pitch, all we can reflect on is Saturday's performance. And like on Saturday, I am seeing no real ability to get the best tactical system or the best performances out of individuals that we that Gerard has at his disposal. He's got talent at his disposal that most of you know the other 14 as they like as people like to call him he's got a squad that most of the other most managers at other 14 clubs would kill to have he's got financial backing that most other managers in the other 14 uh, other 14 clubs would kill to have and at some point I mean game one obviously we'll see how it goes but like I say you've got to put it I think in the context of all of Gerard's nine to ten months in charge because Show me the individual players who have noticeably improved since Gerard has come through the door. You could say maybe Jacob Ramsey, but I feel like his star was rising already. Yeah, Um, Matty Cash as well. Maybe I think a lot of that is down to his finding a happy home with Poland national team football and getting more confident as an international player. That sort of stuff. So there are there are odd players. But the trend I'm seeing, honestly, is more that either players are plateauing or in some in some select cases, either their performances or the off-field stuff around certain players is, is plummeting rather than growing. And at what point do you say, OK, it's only the first day of the season, but this is a trend that we are seeing and this is a worrying trend that has to be addressed soon?
1: Yeah, no, precisely. I, I think, I mean, you do raise a good point. And when you sit back and think about it, it almost feels like the recruits were brought in, in Emmy Martinez and cash um, during the, the, well, I guess whatever kind of transfer window there was during the 2021 season, it feels like we just peaked there. And ever since then, we haven't, I, I don't want to say we've brought in, we haven't brought in suitable replacements or uh, better competition, but it almost seems like we found that mold and the gel that we kind of want to work off of. And it seems like we just don't know where we're going from there. And I don't really buy that whole thing of, Oh, is this going to be life without Michael Beal? Because I mean, one game and he was there last season and we were still in the same inconsistent kind of nature of how we are. Mm -hmm. I I think the issue is Tom and maybe it is something to talk about. I mean, I think it's fair to say that under Dean Smith for a good chunk, it was a manager. I mean, everyone's still learning in their daily lives. Like you learn something new every day. There's that expression, but under Gerrard, it's very clear that this is a manager, a very young manager that's still learning a lot. Mm. And I feel like we're sitting at a time in this club's history where we want to be a lot further. So it almost bears the question of, I don't want to say if it was the right move, and I don't even want to get in that discussion, but it does kind of make you wonder where this is all heading. I mean, who knows? We could win the next five, for instance. Maybe this is just a massive overreaction. There's been other results this weekend that'll surprise a few, i.e. Fulham drawing Liverpool and Liverpool literally catching up all game, uh, Leeds beating Wolves. Um, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Um, But at the end of the day, it just seems like, the plan is, is there isn't a plan. And I I think that is beyond evident and you can, for me, at least you can work off of passion and having the players have that great camaraderie. And at the end of the day, football, like any sport, it's a psychological game. If you can get players to buy into a system, a plan, Mm -hmm. whatever, they will run through a brick wall for you. I don't see that again. And I don't know if it's Isolating players, and we'll we'll probably get to Ming's in a minute, to be honest, because I again I don't know what we really take away from this game to break down, aside from being an absolute mess at times. And again, I mean, if I look at the um statistics now, and we'll get to the crossing thing again, maybe in a minute, because there is a stat for that that's almost laughable. We were laughing prior to starting this recording session about it, because I think it's laughing through the pain more so than anything. But I mean. possession, 15 shot attempts, two on target. I mean, out of those 15 attempts, I feel like maybe three of them were inside an actual kind of threatening area for Bournemouth. Most were pop shots. I can think of Diego Carlos taking a shot where he looked like a 70-year-old man just trying to have a go, and it went about 30 yards wide, it felt like. And there was one, I think the only one I can remember that was actually
0: close was Bubakar Kamara had one underneath but again from about 25-30 yards swerving sort of it I can't remember you said the two shots on target I can't remember either of those in honesty to
1: be honest um, it just says a lot I mean you look at Bournemouth seven shots three on target both had five corners they had 18 fouls we had 16 I mean it was a physical game to say the least but when you're thinking of that when you're stuck in so much possession and being so slow with moving the ball around and I mean, that's been a theme for as long as I can really remember since being promoted is just recycling the ball so slowly, but you'd think Bournemouth aren't a super quick team, especially defensively. So the fact that you're going to draw the likes of continue out so far to the left, and then really have no support to bring him back into play more in the middle. It just, everything seemed very slow and isolated. Like there's so many instances where you could maybe kind of see from a, a, TV perspective, which can sometimes obviously be easier than when you're actually on the pitch and in the thick of it. But so many instances where you can play to feed or we play cute little kind of one twos and kind of, kind of broke out from there. But again, it was the simple things of playing ball to feet, playing players through to really kind of lead them on to something. It was, there was none of that. And it does make you wonder. I mean, again, it could be a one-off, but you have to sit and kind of think, and we'll, I'll say the cro- the crossing stats now. Uh, thanks to AVFC Stato on Twitter for basically providing every stat humanly known to Villa fans these days, because I feel like that's where I go for everything. But 31 cross attempts, six being successful, and 25 of them being failed. I mean, it says it all, really, doesn't it?
0: It's terrible, isn't it? And like when, like I said, like I said at the top of this recording, like... When it became apparent so early in the game as well that it was not a strategy that was going to work. I mean, we were still doing it, like 75, 80 minutes, lumping these crosses in and everything. And it's just, I, I just, I don't understand how that can have been what we came away from the training ground with as our prime strategy for Bournemouth away. Like, why, why is that the direction we went? Instead of, you know, I'd have loved, again, very easy with hindsight, but I've loved to have seen an opportunity for more opportunity for Coutinho and Buendia to be on the pitch together, like they were at City away on the last day when we looked so good for 70, 70 minutes or whatever. Um and I think one like one mitigating factor that we have to bear in mind, not an excuse, but something to, you know, to keep in mind is that there's a lot of new things going on at Villa at the moment. Like we've got new central defensive partnership with Carlos and whoever gets picked alongside him. I think he's probably pretty much nailed on to be the the one centre-back of choice. We've got Bubakar Kamara in midfield, which I think long-term as the season goes on is going to be be a fantastic thing for us. I liked what I saw from Kamara on Saturday. Um, But then, you know, McGinn and Ramsey and whoever else in the midfield has to get used to actually now having a defensive midfielder. That changes their game a bit from last year. So you've got a big difference in the defence, big difference in the midfield. Obviously, John McGinn is going to have to grow into his role as captain. I've seen a lot of... Seeing a lot of concern from Villa fans about what that means. You know, is he going to be a guaranteed starter even when he goes through one of his poor spells? That's a question that Gerard's going to have to answer. And then also Leon Bailey. Again, I agree with you. I thought he was one of the brightest sparks. The b- very, very low bar, to be fair, this weekend. But I thought he was one of the brightest sparks for us. But nobody in the Villa team, even people who were there since the start of last season, nobody's really played with him very much still. You know, a year in, more than a year now into his Villa or a year into his Villa career. N- nobody's really played with him very much in a sort of pr- high pressure Premier League match situation because it you know, just didn't work out very well for him last year. So there's a lot of stuff still to work out. So I'm not surprised we didn't look like a free flowing, you know, te- gelled team who have known each other for ages. I was never expecting that. But even when I saw the lineup come out, a couple of big calls, um, but I was, I was, above all, I was excited to see how that lineup played. And uh, the, you know, just uh, the more the excitement, the more the disappointment, I guess, you know.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? like for me just kind of initially, I just thought it was very odd to have Dougie on the bench. Um, To be honest, I was really looking forward to seeing kind of what he could do in a proper central midfielder role and see how that works, the proper DM behind him, even, or even if you played two DMs, I know it's Bournemouth. So maybe you you don't really account for that, but for him to play more of a advanced role with Buba kind of sitting a little bit further back. I mean, there's just so many different ways. I I thought of, to be honest, I thought the whole winger combo thing was just weird from the get-go yesterday. And I think that kind of speaks to a wider issue. I mean, you look at preseason, it was really never the same team until really the, what, the last two games or like what the last half of the one before the, the game, really. Um, You look at kind of other teams in preseason, Arsenal in particular, not um, in America, A lot of them really were really consistent. They knew what they were working with and they wanted to work on that from close to day one, you would say. I think that's our biggest issue. Again, for the second, third, whatever season, we don't know our best starting 11. And I mean, it's nice in a weird way in the sense that we have so many options, but it's not helpful when you want to advance and hit the heights of 10th or even go above that in ninth or obviously go into Europe, which to be honest, I mean, I hate to say it, but you look at someone like Newcastle who were literally crap halfway through last season, if not a little bit further, and have somehow looked like they've turned it around in just like a millisecond compared to us. And it shows with the right, I would never say the right backing, but the right organization and kind of ideology it can work, and it seems like I mean it's early days for everybody, but it seems like it's working, and there's kind of a good mojo going there. And for me, that does say a lot. But we'll have to wait and see. But Tom, let's move away from the game per se. Let's go post match because I think there's way more talking points to really to go on from there. Um, it all kind of starts and ends with Villa boss Steven Gerrard at the end of the day, um, and the comments yesterday definitely did as well. I mean, kind of going through that, he he dug out Tyrone Mings in a very It was just odd. It was unnecessary. Um, In my mind, Mings will outlive Gerard. Uh, Mings has done way more for this football club on and off the pitch than probably Stevie G will ever do. Um, That's just the way I see it. Other people can see it differently. So fair enough. Um, But the comment of um, Tyron Mings, he has to look me in the eye and show me he is ready to play. And then we'll have that discussion. I don't know where that's coming from. It seemed like the whole thing from losing captaincy to McGinn, putting out that tweet that he was okay with it. No one's bigger than the club. It seemed like Mings is okay with it. Whether that's him just saying it and he's not, obviously we don't know. But based on what we know about Tyrone Mings, it just, and then obviously the Morgan stance on stuff, having saying he's 100% fit for the team. Um, it, it just reeks of Villa five, six plus years ago, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's very, like, I think it's very concerning. I've seen a lot of people, you know, say, like, oh, you know, like, pe- no, everyone, everyone always used to call Tyrone Mings a liability and wanted him dropped. And now that he's been dropped, uh, like, everyone's now turned and everyone's on Tyrone's side, like, support Gerard and stuff like that. But, like, it's this whole, st- like, why are we picking sides between people at our club? Like, why, why is this now a situation? And also, like, just before get into the comments on Ming's, I will just say about Ming's being dropped. Um, I got the feeling it was coming, given the way what we've seen in preseason and given the captaincy. it's not even stripping him of the captaincy. it's him not even being like a vice captain or anything like that. I think it's really weird. I don't agree with that decision personally. But then like with the Ming's like I thought yesterday I didn't think we were I didn't think we were awful defensively obviously the two goals we conceded weren't good i thought there were definitely times where we weren't very good but i thought to be honest defensively we kind of looked how we always look when mings isn't in the team which is a bit disorganized and no without much vocal leadership there and i mean if you take out the center back tyrone mings you take out the guy who last season got the most clearances for us the most headed clearances won the most aerial duels won possession most in the defensive third he led He led Villa in all of those categories last year. It's almost like if you take him out the defence, we might miss him, you know? And there's there's another uh, shout-out again to AVFC Stato, again, (laughs) supplying us the goods. Um, We'll have to to get commission every time we mention him on this. Um, But Tyrone Mings, um, I think he's missed something like 10 Premier League games since we got promoted for us. We've won one of them, and that was against Norwich and that was in December 2019 was the last time we won a Premier League game without Tyrone Mings in the starting line um, a. Re- it's not coincidence. I know that Mings isn't a perfect defender by any stretch, but I still maintain that a lot of the issues that Mings got himself into last year were actually kind of a symptom of us not having any kind of proper defensive midfielder on the pitch at any time. Like how are you how are you expecting a center backs are gonna deal with every threat and have a perfect game and not put a foot wrong if you don't have defensive field cover? Um, so I mean the selection, I think there's a conversation to be had there. I don't really, I don't really agree with it. But if it was just selection, fair enough. It's the manager's prerogative. But these comments, like I'm actually I I go as far as to say I find it a bit pathetic from Stephen Gerrard, actually. Because he talks, we we all love to talk about, like, Stephen Gerrard is a serial winner, got a winner's mentality. But at what point does having a winner's mentality just become being a really sore loser, both in terms of results and in terms of the personal battles that you choose to pick and fight at your club? Uh, yeah.
1: Do you kind of, I don't know, maybe this is just me and I don't want to get super personal with it, but do you almost get this vibe now, Tom, where it's starting to be like, I'm... Um, maybe this is how i read it but i'm steven gerrard the great steven gerrard you know you know what i mean like i think it's it's,
0: i think that's uh, being i do i I worry that's being a bit fueled by the hierarchy at the club as well purslow is gonna be inflating gerrard's ego any chance he can because I, I, i mean our ownership have done great things for our club like i'm not trying to say that they haven't at all um I just don't really want to see Aston Villa become like a Steven Gerrard mates club because I don't think that serves anybody apart from possibly Steven Gerrard, but I'm not even sure it really suits Steven Gerrard. I think
1: it's even harder to clear out if it doesn't work either. Like, yeah, well, exactly.
0: And I mean, I just, you mentioned earlier about um, Saturday's defeat wreaking a bit of, um, of arrogance, big concern I have for, for for Villa in general in the wider context is that we have all this talk you know like I said about Gerard being a winner Perslo being a winner like all that stuff but we also have this talk about reaching the you know battling for Europe setting high standards getting big players in and everything we're not there though like we're not I know we want to get there but that to me is like trying to run before you can walk um, how about showing some more tactical nous how about working on your man management skills which with every month that passes I doubt Steven Gerrard's man management ability more I I think it's very I find it very hypocritical as well about like Gerrard strikes me as a manager who wouldn't stand for players coming out and sort of casting aspersions on his management and on the coaching staff why should he be allowed to come out and cast aspersions in public about players like fair like and you said about Tyrone Mings after McGinn was given the captaincy Mings came out with that public statement very magnanimous you know it's not about me it's about the club and everything and as you said like that might that probably isn't how he feels in private but that's the image he portrays in public as an ambassador of Aston Villa football club to have a manager like Steven Gerrard pretty much full on calling out you senior members of your squad in public is not something that I particularly want to be associated with Aston Villa football club. I, I, I'll be honest with you. And then, you know, he's got a bit snarky as well, didn't he? I think Gerard with a journalist afterwards asking about what Philip Coutinho's best position and everything is, I think he said something like, well, you've seen Coutinho play, like essentially being like, well, you, you know, make your, make your own mind up. You've seen him play. Like I don't have to answer that question. Um why don't you have to answer that question seems yeah. to me that's exactly the kind of question that managers should have to answer there's
1: too much emotion going into it and i get the whole passion thing but and you have to balance it's, that it's concerning
0: so early on as well that i feel like we're seeing a few cracks emerge it's it's day 1 of the season like it's far too early for these these seeming you know seeming cracks starting to emerge in the you know on, not just on-field performance but off-field And the public, it's the public thing that bothers me. In the public sphere, as a football club, I think you should conduct yourself well and um, respectfully, there should be mutual respect between fans, players, manager. All that should be part of one big circle. And I feel like we're getting to a point where we're almost, I think I said it earlier, we're almost being forced to pick sides between manager and player, or player and other player, or that sort of stuff. And it just, I don't, for the start of a new premier league season, when we've all been filled with optimism about pushing for Europe and that sort of stuff, I think, you know, I think it's important not to overreact to one game, but I said to you before we started recording, you shouldn't overreact, but you, you are allowed to react to what you see. And there's, there's, there's a lot to be concerned about, I think, on and off the pitch from what we've seen in the last, even just the last like 48 hours. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, these are trends you don't want to see continue, right?
1: Well, it's just funny. I mean, maybe it's just Villa being Villa, but it's either a really decent on the pitch or we're really decent off the pitch. It's one or the other. Um, Or we're crap (laughs) on both. It's never never a double (laughs) positive. Yeah. Um, So that's the one thing. I mean, Again, humor, humorously, I mean, enough. You can maybe say we shouldn't do Twitter Spaces on Thursdays, amping up the opening season of a game anymore. Apparently, person. Yeah,
0: hopefully, we've learned our lesson.
1: <laughs> but um, I, I guess in regards to that, um, it, it's not going to be an easy one. But regardless, if you did have a man of the match yesterday, if there's one, you can kind of squeeze out of some crack and some muddy hole or something. Who would it be?
0: um I think Emmy Buendia did well when he came on I always think he I think I still think our best starting 11 has Emi Buendia in it I think he always when it whenever he comes off the bench he always looks like one of our better players I think but probably on reflection I think to give it to one of the starters I would probably give it to Buba Kamara I think like I don't I genuinely I don't really think that anybody played well like I haven't actually I haven't actually check out the uh this sounds good time to plug the uh player ratings on seventy five hundred to hold. check it out guys um If I was doing the player ratings this week, um, I don't know. Nobody would get above a six, certainly. And I think that for a lot of people would be generous. But I think Buba Kamara, I'll say for a first game, and also he's kind of just a kid. Like, I can't remember exactly how old he is, like 22, something around that ballpark. Um, To come in... um, from Marseille and go straight into the team Premier League game and like blood and thunder sort of game away at a Premier League promoted side I thought he acquitted himself pretty well and there are certainly signs not just from pre-season which I don't want to put too much weight on but also from yesterday Saturday even in a even amid a poor performance from the team I saw enough to be very encouraged about the difference that he can make to us going forward I think he will prove to be an especially on a free transfer, like I think he'll prove to be a very savvy signing. Um, I thought he was one of the lone bright spots. Also, Leon Bailey, but I kind of agree with you. I do always have that feeling about Bailey just trying to do a little bit too much. But I wonder if that's just he needs to just settle into a run of games. And I think that's something that we will see a bit less of. So um, but they were two of the bright, the brighter sparks for me.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting quickly when you mentioned Bailey. It's almost like for me, you want to give him the run of games, but You also want to have some wins on the board then kind of to bring them in. There's no perfect time, but let's make it unanimous. It has to be Bubakar Kamara. I know our very own uh, Liam Davies on the 7500 Holt website gave him the man of the match as well. Go check that out. um, Show it some support. I know reflecting on those things kind of aren't the easiest and people don't want to do it, especially after an annoying loss on the opening day. But regardless, it is it is a good read, and it gives some good insight into that as well. I believe he gave him a 6 out of 10. To be honest, if there was ever going to be a chance of a 7 out of 10, it would have been him. For some reason, he looked more lethal than Coutinho, and that's a massive issue when that's your defensive midfielder. And again, Tom, I said this before recording, but it's almost like we're shocked that we have a good defensive midfielder, and now the whole other rest of our side does not know how to react. but maybe we'll figure it out one of these days, hopefully soon, hopefully against Everton. But, uh, Let's get over to the three-word reviews. Uh, there are over a hundred. Oh, <laughs> um, I haven't gone through these yet, but I will try to read out ones that aren't too bad, so I don't have to cause too much of a headache in the um, editing session I'm going to have later this afternoon. Yeah. There might be some. Might be
0: a period of silence now while you desperately try and find one that's readable.
1: <laughs> Precisely, but of course, you can tweet us at seven thousand five hundred hole in the future and get involved uh let's start with our very own phil vogel he says zero fun zone um our very own simon o'regan as well saying fucking groundhog day so thanks simon i'm gonna have to put this as an explicit um podcast now because i just read that out but i did want to Give him some love on that as well. Let's go to Dave Sterling happily went swimming. Uh, James Burt relegation form continues. I think that's a little dramatic, but nonetheless, that's his opinion. Um, let's go to me um, at Faye Wood 69. saying Gerard is fake. Um, Paul Tomlinson Watford away revisited. That's probably the most accurate thing I've seen. Uh, Steve Pacey or Passy. Sorry if I butchered your last name. Weekend ruined again. Uh, ben Whitehouse, same old shit. Um, Jazz sing, bring back Dean. Let's scroll way down here because there's a lot of them. Um, a, B, C, D, E, A, V, F, C. Uh, no leaders anywhere. Andy saying one trick pony. Let's do three more here. Uh, Gary Glasgow, uh, very poor management. Lee Flello, bring back Mings. And let's scroll a little bit further. Let's go to, there are so many. Wow. Um, This one actually is a good one. Jerry Smith. I think this summarizes the whole podcast. And I I can't put this as the title because it would probably get taken down. But simply, what the fuck? So there you go. I I think that summarizes everything as well. So of course, thank you guys for getting involved. And like I said, tweet us at 7500 to Holt in the future. But Tom, one thing I did want to kind of bring up before we finish this, and this is probably longer than we've wanted it to be, but regardless Of that. I mean, looking forward to Everton next Saturday. I did put out a poll. I think it got like 130 odd uh, votes, of course. And I probably should have put it out earlier to get more of an opinion. But regardless, I like doing things at the last minute. And that has everything to do with time change. So I will just say that is to blame. But of course, I just asked people now that we've had a little bit of time to reflect. Do we think Villa will turn things around against Everton? So I gave them the option of yes. It just was. It was just one game or no. There's still too many issues. Can you guess where people went and roughly what the divide was? I would guess
0: after you posted this when, like, uh, at the afternoon, the evening, about two hours ago. About oh, two right, yeah, ago, yeah. Um, I would say probably a two-thirds, one-third split towards no would be my guess.
1: Fair enough. Well, it was sixty three percent no and thirty seven yes. <laughs> that's pretty, it's pretty damn close, then. <laughs> Which is fair enough. I mean, I mean, going it's, into this game, it it only amplifies things, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and like obviously that's bound. Like I do, that's bound to be the overwhelming uh, opinion. I think after a defeat like that, because just the manner of the defeat was so disappointing. Like I, Everton at home is a, like, I don't think anyone will disagree that it's a game that we can win. I am not particularly i mean i'm i'm quite optimistic I, you know i think there's going to have to be a reaction right and i know i've i've been i've spoken pretty frankly some might say harshly about gerard throughout this throughout this episode but um he's got to react now and like you can't keep saying there's not enough quality from your players or whatever i'm not seeing enough quality from the dugout in the coaching and the in-game management even in the preparation if that was our preparation for bournemouth that's not good enough simple as so like there's got to be a reaction from the coaching staff as well as from the players um let's get the ball down on the ground shall we you know uh try and play through you know play through teams try and play to our team's strengths which is not you know matty cash and luca Dino have got a good cross on them you know can put some dangerous balls into the box but i feel like that works mostly you know works most well if you're sort of breaking forward at pace sort of wraps his foot around it, often quite low across goal. And you've got people coming in, you know, it's not none of this hoofing it in diagonal from like 40 yards back from the box. Like what, what's the point in doing that? Yeah. Or the slow build-up. And by the time you cross it in, you've got five foot 10 Danny Ings or five foot 10 Ollie Watkins. I don't know if those are those their heights, but <laughs> neither of them are particularly, neither of them are particularly physically imposing at face value. Like why, there's no point slow build up and then crossing the ball into the box when you've got one striker in there against towering centre halves and you know let's see a bit more invention and a bit more thought going into the preparation um and if we if we approach it in that way there's no reason at all we can't beat everton at home i'm not necessarily ex- expecting the same kind of explosive result against everton as we had at home last year um the odd Leon bailey hamstring game as we'll call it um but you know I, I, i'm still it hasn't you know, I'm not totally down in the dumps about it. I still feel relatively confident that we can go there, put in a far better performance, and if we can up our game, then there's no reason we can't win that game at all. Um, it's gonna be—it's not so much about the result. Obviously, you want to get a win, first home game of the season. It's more about the performance at this early stage. Like if we're as flat and as as, as limp as we were on Saturday again next weekend, um, yeah, it's gonna be an issue, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I expect some changes too. I, I think you have it's to continuo in the middle. You, you have to, whether that means Buendia has to go out wide and you, you switch a few things up, but yeah, you, there has to be a reaction. There has to be a few changes. Um, personally, I do question if you maybe bring in Luis for Ramsey. I, I kind of thought that should have been how it started anyways. I love Jacob Ramsey, but he doesn't need to start every game just because he's one of our own and that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, I, I don't know. Again, there's too much of that going on. But anyways, I think that's a good place to leave it. I don't want to do a score prediction because, again, they're probably never wrong. And who knows what comes out between now and then that, that can yeah. change a number the, of things. The last thing I want to do right now is predict the result of Villa's next game. <laughs> to be to be honest with you, exactly. But anyways, I think we'll uh, leave things at that. So thank you, Tom, very much for joining me. Of course, you can find him on Twitter at td nightingale. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at talk aston villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt check out the website www.7500toHolt.com email the podcast if you'd like to do so Holtcast at gmail.com we'll leave things there thank you guys very much for joining us it's good to be back of course um i do emphasize following us on twitter because we're doing twitter live sessions through twitter spaces all that kind of stuff um a lot more active on there and all that good stuff so uh yeah give it a follow and uh join the community but anyways we'll leave it there don't forget the villa.